Hey folks, Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of the Lazy D&D Talk Show. This is a weekly show in which we talk about pretty much any interesting news or goings-ons in the world of D&D. And I've got an interesting uh, list of topics to talk about today, so we will dive right in. So first of all, I, I think I, I have mentioned on this show before that I'm working on a new book called The Lazy DM's Companion. And uh, if you want a preview of The Lazy DM's Companion, you can get this preview by joining my Patreon by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. In fact, I should, I should describe all of them. Yeah, so this show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. You too can become a patron of Sly Flourish by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. So yeah, uh, so I'm going to have a Kickstarter on September, September 28th is the pretty solid launch date. So a couple of months, that's all of August and all of September, we're going to start doing a pretty good marketing blitz beginning in, uh, beginning in August, right? No, September. In the beginning of September, we'll be beginning a big marketing blitz for it. But I'll be talking about it in the meantime. Uh, a, a little bits here and there. But if you were interested in seeing a preview, including seeing a preview of the preview, a preview of the sample chapter, and it's not really sample chapter, it's a bunch of sample ch pages, about 14 pages of content that have been, that have gone through editing and layout and design and all of that stuff. You can see the preview early by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. And patrons also have access to all of the materials that are going into the Lazy DM's Companion in the form of Sly Flourish's Uncovered Secrets and Sly Flourish's Adventure Generators. So if you want to see the kind of stuff that's going to be in the Kickstarter and in this book, you can do so, baby becoming a patron and patrons also get access to a bunch of other exclusive stuff too, videos and and free adventures uh, and i have a feeling there's going to be parts of the companion that aren't going to there are par parts of the adventure generators and uncovered secrets that will not make it into the companion that patrons will continue to have access to indefinitely so yeah, uh, I'm partnering with Nord, with Nord Games with this for this for this Kickstarter. Nord is going to be helping me in two ways. One, they're going to help manage the Kickstarter for me, which is a huge undertaking and something that has gotten harder every time I've done it. So I'm very happy to have uh, a partner to help me manage that stuff. And also, Nord is going to be handing handling the fulfillment and distribution of the book itself and of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Lazy DM's workbook in offset printing. One of the major differences between this Kickstarter and any of the other ones I've done is we're actually going to do offset printing for this book and the two others. So you can buy a package deal, get all three books. My hope right now is that the workbook will be spiral bound. So we're going to have a spiral. You'll have a hardcover version of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, a spiral bound version of the Lazy DM's workbook, and a, a, a thread bound version of the Lazy DM's companion softcover. So three different formats for the three different ways that we use these books. So that should be very cool. And the packages will be uh, PDF for the, I think right now what we're aiming for, and all of this is subject to change, of course, is that it will be, you can get the main book in PDF, the, the Lazy DM Companion in PDF, which would be pretty pretty cheap. You can get uh, all three books in PDF if you don't happen to have them already. You can get the main book in print, Lazy DM Companion in print, or you can get all three books in print. And then there'll be, uh, we're going to have backer kit. Well, there won't be an EPUB version of the Companion because it's too table-based, that the tables, I, th I think it'll be too hard formatting is such a tricky business that I, I don't think I'll be able to I think it would take a significant amount of rework to get it to work in EPUB you can do tables in EPUB and stuff like that but it's it's a little tricky so I'm not sure I, I'm not going to guarantee EPUB we're going to think about that 
So the other two books, well, not, and, and like, and again, Lazy DM Workbook is not in EPUB either. Uh, Lazy Return is in EPUB because it fits nicely and it formats nicely when you squeeze it on a phone. When you do tables and stuff like that, it gets weird. Yeah, anyway, so that is coming out September 28th, but you will start hearing about it as early as the end of August when we're really gonna, when we're really gonna pick things up. So I'm very excited for that. Last week, we talked about how Wizards of the Coast has been talking about canon. And I think it came from a, Jer- a Jeremy Crawford discussion about canon on... It's like Gizmodo or something like that. So Chris Perkins uh, wrote a description of how they think of canon now. I'll paste this here in the in the Twitch chat, and you can find all of the notes to all of this stuff you will be able to find in the show notes, either in the podcast or on YouTube. And I, so I read, he has a description of what counts as canon, what doesn't kind of count as canon, how they treat canon and their purpose, why they treat canon a certain way. And I actually, I think it's fine, right? And not that my opinion matters on the on the topic, not that anyone cares what my opinion is on the topic although a bunch of you are here to hear me talk so maybe you care i don't know but they don't care and that's fine but the answer is it's i think it's i think it's fine right that they essentially want to make sure that that and they and they state very clearly the thing which i stated last week which is you as the dm running your game you get to choose what's canon for your world you don't have to wait for anybody else to explain to you what's canon and and that to me is the number one thing but then also they they clearly have sort of a marketing purpose for this, which is they want to be able to hand their intellectual property to lots of different producers to make things like video games or books or comics or movies or TV shows or who knows what, Magic the Gathering cards, whatever they're going to make with it. And they don't want to have to ensure that all of those groups are following one story, right? That's that's would be really hard to do. So they are taking a... Yes, of course, I agreed here, your stuff. They are taking an approach of all of those groups can sort of take what we've got and run with it. But they but that material won't make its way back. That doesn't mean they can't take it back. So if they have things, they they can always bring it back in again, right? And an ex- a weird example of that would be they they have stated that the 5th edition of the Forgotten Realms is independent from all of the previous editions of the Forgotten Realms. That the stuff that is in older editions are only canon for their edition. Which is kind of weird, except you're like, well, what does that mean? Like, does that mean there is no Icewind Dale? And like, no, there's an Icewind Dale because there's an Icewind Dale in fifth edition. Doesn't mean that all of Menzo Baranzin operates exactly as we would expect Menzo Baranzin to act, given that there was a fourth edition Menzo Baranzin book and there's all these Icewind Dale books that uh, Ari Salvador has done. You know, like even El Bayenre, right? Even El Bayenre was the high priest of Loth in Menzo Baranzin. Is she canon or not, right? And I think like if she's mentioned in rpg books than she is but like her whole sort of transformation from villain to good person kind of in the recent Ari salvador books may not be canon and that's good because like i'm not sure that i want it to be canon it's kind of nice to have even alban ray as a as an arch villain so uh and her whole transformation of like having been killed and then coming back and all this stuff you know so yeah, Scipio says, treat it like the MCU treats the comics, a source of potential ideas, but free to ignore and adapt as you serve the story. Right. And that that to me is probably the easiest way to work with it. So anyway, it's an interesting article. It's worth reading. Does it affect us very much? Not really, because in my opinion, you know, I said this last week, you don't need to let them live. You don't need to let other people live in your head. And no one gets to decide for you what you want to do at your table. Once you've bought their material, you can use it how you wish. So you get to decide what's canon for your group. And it's probably the the tricky bit is like when you have players that are very knowledgeable about the area that you're dealing with, who are kind of like, yeah, butting you during your game, right? Well, 
or that's not how I would have done it, or that's not what it says in X or Y or Z. And I think the key is that you need to have a conversation. If you have players that are very familiar with the realms, for example, you need to have the conversation. Like the realms that we're running here may not be the version that you've got in your head. It is a version that I've got in mind. It's a version that we're kind of building here at the table together, right? And you could say like, what's happening in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide is what I'm basing it on. Not the second edition Forgotten Realms book, not the novels, not this other stuff. I'm basing it on what has been described in the fifth edition of D&D in like the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide and these adventures that I'm running. And, you know, and I think that can, I think that can work. I've been lucky enough not to have players who I've, I've had some very, very knowledgeable players, but I've never had anybody that sort of said like, well, that's not how it works. Actually, I've had them bring things that they brought with them, like story elements that they brought with them that we then incorporated, but they weren't contrary to what was going on in, in the game itself. So I think that that. I think that worked out. Anyway, interesting article, interesting topic, and I'm glad they kind of put their foot down. I didn't see anything in here that was like outright barbarous, right? I thought, I accept this commando quiz was really, really dumb. I don't know why they did that. If you look at the quiz, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think they did a good job. I would, I would argue that this seems like a reasonable approach towards canon. If you want to hear an interesting debate about this whole topic, I would suggest listening to the Mastering Dungeons podcast with my friends Teos Abadia and Sean Merwin. The two of them are very experienced, longtime D&D developers, D&D story creators, adventure writers. They've both done tremendous work and they really love D&D and they've really thought about it for a long time. They're two very, very smart guys and they have a good debate about canon and they have a differing opinion on it. Teos feels one way, Sean feels another and they're, they, don't, they don't get in each other's face about it they just discuss their debates and it's really really good so the mastering dungeons uh podcast let's see mastering Dun- the mastering dungeons podcast it's a great podcast i think it's 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 definitely one of my favorite D podcasts and they have a really good news segment and they in the last two and i bet you they do it again i think they're going to have a third where they're going to talk more about their feelings on canon and what it means so really really good stuff so we've talked about that we've talked about that i have an article in the latest issue of arcadia uh arcadia is the matt colville the mcdm matt colville production for a magazine that they do they so they have a patreon and and, uh, i'm getting ahead of myself mcdm matt colville's company makes a lot of fifth edition stuff including kingdoms and warfare a new book that that has come out they did uh strongholds and followers was a book they did and they did kingdoms and warfare another book both really big tomes uh kingdoms of warfare is now out in digital it's not yet out in print the other one strongholds and followers is out both in pdf and in print And they also put together, they wanted to do their version of like Dragon Magazine. And so they did, and it's called Arcadia. And my friend James Intercasso is uh, the lead editor for Arcadia. They've done six issues. And they, they did one of mine for a article called The Grim Accord. I'm probably going to do another video where I talk about the Grim Accord in detail and talk about some of the design ideas and stuff like that. And myself and James and Matt will be on Matt's show this next Friday. We were supposed to do it this Friday, but it got moved and bumped. So now I think it's next Friday. And we're going to talk. The Grim Accord is an article in which you are given four evil NPCs, a, an evil adventuring party. And you can use them in lots of different ways. And they are really kind of fun characters with interesting backgrounds and little designs to their stat blocks that make them kind of work well together in a group. So it's, it was a really fun article to write. I worked on it really hard. And we, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And I'm really excited to have been published. Uh, MCDM and James 
uh, are wonderful people to work for. And I really, I really dug it. So if you want to check it out, you can check it out by joining the Arcadia, the MCDM Patreon. You can buy the issues directly, but that's probably not your best bet. They have 9,700 patrons. That's tremendous. If you subscribe, if you join the MCDM Patreon, you get access to all of the old issues for, for, you know, for the one, for the one price. It is worth signing up. I think it's worth subscribing and staying subscribed because you get an issue every every month. And it's really cool. And the production value is so good. Really, really good. Wonderful authors. Really cool designs. It's an excellent magazine. I highly recommend it. This isn't really a review for MCDM, but it kind of is. But it's also self-serving because I have an article in there. So... It is really, it is really cool. Merrick90 says, I love how you write and organize adventures. I'd love to see one of your adventures in Arcadia. I don't, I would not expect that to happen for two reasons. One is that it is definitely an MCDM's interest to have lots of different authors writing for them. So I don't know the next time that I will write for them. Uh, like they're not going to kick into like five writers and just keep doing those five writers over again. This is an opportunity for a lot of other writers to have an opportunity to, to, to write. And so there's that. Then the second one is that James has described and they've described in, in, they've described in other podcasts that they've done that adventures are really hard to publish this way because they need to be so extensively play tested. It's hard material to do. So I don't think they've, they've done a bunch of adventures. They have, I think they have two adventures in the same issue that, that I'm in, but I don't think they're going to have a lot of adventures. They've actually asked people not to submit as many adventures. They like adventure locations. They like monsters. They like other sort of components that DMs can run with, but full on adventures is probably not their, their bag. So I don't think I would, I probably wouldn't even propose an adventure for them. I think if I'm going to write an adventure, I'm going to end up writing shorter adventures for my own Patreon than writing an adventure for them. But I would definitely, if I had the opportunity, I'd definitely submit other kinds of articles to them. So you'll see other things. What else? What other people? I, let's see. Never mind Dungeon and Dragon Magazine. That cover makes me really miss heavy metal. Yeah, right. They have some, the covers are bonkers, right? The, the covers of these issues are 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 just great let's see if they, they have i think there's other covers here look at that one right and i'm going to spoil the, the it looks like it doesn't have the title into it until you look up here and you go oh look up there right yeah titles up there that one's definitely like a heavy metal cover i really i think that's my favorite cover that they've done really really cool stuff you know look at that great covers you know really cool magazine beautiful beautiful stuff the internal the internal stuff is as strong as the as strong as the artwork of the covers. It's just it's it's great stuff. I'm really excited that they're doing this. It's a wonderful the, the stuff that they're doing at MCDM is really exciting. No desire to do print. Yeah, it would be really cool to get a print version though. But I get why it's really hard to do print. I'd probably it'd be one where I would probably order a print one if they did it. So Chris, who is the developer, he, he, he works at, or he is the, the, the one guy at Darker Hue Studios and an independent RPG creator. And he created the Harlem Unbound RPG, an excellent RPG. I have a copy and uh, great, great stuff. Really, really good. And it's an, it was an any, a gold, any award winning RPG that he put out. And he has another one uh, coming out. Oh, whose name escapes me. It's not out yet. But he talked about, it's actually in this Twitter feed. So he talked about the difficulties of being an independent creator, particularly for a non-5e RPG in this industry. And that, you know, he's like, look, everybody would look at what I've done, that he did Harlem Unbound. He put out a second edition of Harlem Unbound. He got a gold, an, uh, a gold any for it. A gold, uh, you know, an, an, it's an any award when Haunted West is his other one. 
and yet, you know, he still has to struggle as an independent creator. It's really, really hard. And if you look at like Evil Hat, uh, Evil Hat, right? Evil Hat talks about this too, that like, here's what here, they broke down, like what a $200,000 Kickstarter looks like and how little money they actually made from it as a producer. And it brought up an interesting question in my mind when I was reading his thread. It's a, definitely a thread worth reading and understanding if you're interested in independent RPG creation and kind of the, 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 the deep struggles that somebody can have being an independent RPG creator. And one of the questions I have is like, we know that 5e is tremendously successful, but is the rising tide raising all boats really? And I've talked to some people about this, including people that like own game shops. And they're like, yeah, we're definitely seeing more RPG stuff overall. But I think it, that the rest of the RPG market is not growing like 5e is growing in particular, that, that D&D is growing. And I think that's, you know, I, I mean, is it sad? Yeah, because we want RPGs overall to be great. And I think like, so recently, again, on the Misdirected Mark podcast, we, Teos, I think, mentioned that the IVC stats came out for like how games are selling in stores and that Cyberpunk eclipsed Pathfinder, right? That D&D was, of course, number one, but Cyberpunk... Cyber, not Cyberpunk 2077, Cyberpunk Red, I think it's called, eclipsed Pathfinder. And that that didn't show that like Cyberpunk is doing tremendously well, although it's probably doing fine. It It's showing that like the, the, the as soon as you get out of the top producer and go down to the second producer, it's like many orders of magnitude less. And I think Chris's thread is kind of talking about this and talking about like, there's a, there's a misconception that like the world of RPGs is exploding and it's not, he's not finding it to be the case. Right. And that, so that's interesting and disturbing. I don't know what can be done about it, really. I've heard people point the finger at Watsi, saying Watsi is not doing a good job of helping to support our other RPGs. And I go, like, well, why would you expect them to? Right. Like, Watsi's a company like any other company. They don't owe the market anything. Like, you know, that, I mean, people, people, a lot of times, one thing I've talked about this before on the show, people attribute a greater responsibility to Wizards of the Coast than I think they should that Wizards is the leader in the industry, so therefore they need to do a bunch of things without remembering the fact that this is a profit-driven company that we're talking about. And it's not up to them to do stuff, it's up to us to do stuff, right? Like the game is out there and it has an OGL, so we can do a lot with it, but we don't even need an OGL to do a lot with it. And the idea that like we depend upon them to lead the way with a lot of things, you're asking a commercial company to lead the way in a lot of things, and they're not going to in all circumstances, especially if it goes against their, you know, their, their core drives of their company. So there's a lot of like Wizards of the Coast as a community, right? I, I had an argument with somebody on Twitter, believe it or not. I don't know if you know this. Sometimes arguments come out on Twitter. And I had an argument with somebody on Twitter, somebody who I like and, and somebody who I, I respect. And we've had a lot of discussions on Twitter before. And it was when they were putting out their 45th year anniversary dice. It was the silver aluminum dice with the, with the little sapphire gem that, forget the name of the dice company that did it. But a really, really fancy set of anniversary dice. And it was a collector's edition. There's only like a thousand of them ever made. And you could order them. And they were like $500 a set, right? And people were like, you know, $500 a set is outrageous. And, and they were like, you, you owe the community a cheaper set of anniversary dice, was the argument. Like, they, they, they owe it to us. And I was like, no, they don't. And they're like, yeah, they owe it to us as a community. After all of the support that we've given them over the years, they owe us a set of anniversary dice. And I'm like, no, they don't. Like, they don't owe you anything, right? Like, they, they can stop production at D&D today. And you couldn't say anything. Like, they, they don't owe you anything, right? Not, I mean, maybe we're getting in the semantics of, like, legal versus, you know, non-legal, right? Or legal versus 
not non-legal, but like legal versus like their, their, their duty to the community. And they can decide to do that. And I think it would have been a good idea if they had come out with a, like a, even a moderately like $25 set of anniversary dice that were kind of a special set. They do a special set for every adventure. I don't know why they wouldn't do it for this, but it wasn't, it was a matter of, do they, do they need to, is it, it should they, is it up to them? And I was like, no, they can do whatever they want. Like Watsy can do whatever it wants. We don't get to decide. We don't get to decide what they do. And I would say on the other side, we shouldn't let them decide what we want to do with this hobby, right? So it, it, yeah, they don't have to, but it's a good idea. That I agreed with. But the idea that we were owed it, that they they should have and didn't, I was like, I don't think so, right? And I think it's because people put so much responsibility on wizards, not in a not not in the like the you know you leave wizards alone kind of argument, right? But in the why would you trust them? <laughs> why would you trust them to do the right thing, right? They're a company. So they're going to make mistakes, right? And they have very smart people working for them, people that I like, people that I've talked to, and, and, and I, you know, I, I buy their products and I like their products. But I am not counting on Wizards of the Coast for my happiness with D&D. Luckily for me, D&D is wide enough and big enough, and I know that like the IP and all that that I can enjoy D&D regardless of what Wizards does. And that's what I'm kind of recommending others do. And I think in the same line, are we are we trusting and 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 depending upon Wizards of the Coast to bolster the entire RPG market? If we are, we're in trouble because they're not out for the whole RPG market. They're out for D&D. So it's great to see other companies like MCDM and like, yeah, Critical Role's imprint, right? What are they called? I can never remember the name of their imprint. But, you know, lots of other big companies are getting into this space, making big books, right? We see it with Ghostfire Games. We see it with, you know, Nord Games and 2C Games and many, many other ones. Darrington Press, thank you. So we're seeing some big publishers coming. Now, the interesting thing is they're all surrounding D&D. They're all working with 5e and they're doing well. So there's definitely an argument of like, do you want to make 5e stuff or not? And I think it's pretty clear that like Chris Spivey doesn't want to make 5e stuff. He wants to make his own stuff, right? And and I'm not saying like, well, he should go to 5e. You shouldn't go to 5e. I think the the the, the business and the market, like other companies like Monty Cook Games, made made their own system, Cipher system, but they're also making 5e stuff, right? And I think that they made a business decision, and and I think it's proven to be pretty profitable for them to do it. So, yeah. So I think it's it's I think my assessment without having done like a deep dive data analysis on this is that I don't think the rising tide is raising all boats, particularly with independent RPGs. I'm not sure it's the case. And I, I think that I don't know what can be done about it. Like I think putting more attention towards products like that, and maybe I should do that. Maybe I should like move my reviews to talk about RPGs that aren't necessarily D&D. I'm a D&D guy though, right? I like D&D. I like playing it. I wouldn't be playing if I didn't like it. But I do think like the Cypher system is I think a better system. I like the Cypher system more personally. And I have some reasons why because it fits the style that I like. But I also like 5e a lot and 5e does really well for me. So I'm 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 very happy with it. Anyway, I thought it was a very interesting topic. It is a very interesting thread. I suggest reading it. If you're into the whole independent RPG things and you have questions like this, it is worth it's worth taking a look. So now we're going to look at a couple of products. I don't think I'm spelling his name right. Did I spell his name right? He's in the chat. He'll tell me. Z E U C H. Let me fix that. Z. I spelled it right there, but I didn't spell it right there. So one of my ways, look, it's, I don't have my alignment correct either. There we go. So one of the things I want to do, I've been talking about this. We've been doing this now for a while. 
And I want to help shine a light on products that might not often get a light shined upon them that I think are really excellent. I've now been doing this for a few episodes of this show, and I'm going to do it here too. So I, I met a fella named Christian, Christian Zuck, who uh, I first met him in the DMs Guild, and then we have now moved to another area where we chat about RPG marketing and how we market RPGs. It's been really, really useful. There's a, there's a small group of us that have been talking about how we market RPG, you know, talking about our own struggles with it, st- talking about what we find and what we don't find what works and what doesn't work hint email newsletters work well have worked well for me and twitter does not work as well youtube works well instagram does not work well so we talk about a lot of this stuff and where it comes out but christian is a rpg producer we'll go to his dms guild page first who publishes tons of material, a very sort of MT Black sort of approach of making many, many different products for many different, many different systems. And what, what Christian has found is that he's been very successful with products that, that pile onto the intellectual property of Wizards of the Coast, which is exactly, in my opinion, how you should use the DMs Guild. That the DMs Guild, some people use it because they feel they have a good solid audience for 5e. But more importantly, the, the, the big advantage that publishing the DMs Guild gives you in my opinion, is access to their intellectual property that you don't get anywhere else. Like Raven, a new book that a Christian's publishing uh, publishing group, I would say, has put out is Van Richten's Guide to Raven, the Van Richten's Pocketbook to Ravenloft. And uh, it's a very big, 77 page book with all kinds of interesting stuff about Domains of Dread. I've taken a look at it, it's really, really cool. And uh, in this case, Christian has hired outside writers, a bunch of different writers to put this together. I guess it looks like one or two other writers to put this together. I think Christian is here in the chat too. So say hello, Christian, in the chat. And, but puts out tons and tons of different material. And Christian, I believe that you're, you kind of started on the cartography side. In fact, both of the two products that I'm going to talk to, I believe the creators of these products started on the cartography side and then have moved into publishing and building bigger, bigger products. So yeah, Christian Zook is right there. Hello. So lots and lots of different products. And Christian really spends a lot of time thinking about where the, where he can have the biggest impact, like what kinds of products, you know, are going to have a big, a big, you know, a big move, right? Which ones are going to go after people that are interested in this kind of material. So one of the products that I want to highlight today, I asked Christian, what, what product that have you made that you are most proud of? Jack was the writer and Hilton Hidden was the editor. So, and Christian came back and said, Encounters in Barovia, and here it is. So Encounters in Barovia follows along the lines of the other, if you've seen the, like, Waterdeep City Encounters or Encounters in Chult, the the Encounters that the DM Guild Adept group used to be putting out. The DM Guild Adepts have not seemed to put out anything in some time, which is interesting. So anyway, Christian grabbed onto that and said, we're going to make Encounters in Barovia, and did so. It is a... It is, they, they are sort of drag and drop. I think they're in many cases replacements to existing encounters in the book. And you can sort of pop out an encounter that's in there and drop another one in. And it's funny, it starts off right with a bang called I'm Coming, a sixth to eighth level encounter in which Strahd rides up on you and starts punching you in the face, which I think is pretty, pretty interesting, right? She is mine. Basically, this is Strahd going after Irina, which is a pretty bold encounter like this could be a campaign changing encounter i would be a little careful about this one because it has that's good i'm like what are the outcomes and it's like the group runs the group tries to save irena but fails and strad takes irena to castle ravenloft and or the adventures save irena but fall and die or the group manages to save irena and repel strad right and that those are all it's it's good that the encounter 
describes those different outcomes. You will want to be prepared to handle those different ones because it can feel very railroady if you have a strong NPC like Strahd show up and just wipe the characters out and take Irina and like, well, we never had a chance. That's a little bit along the lines of like losing loot, right? If you, not that Irina is loot, but like loss, loss aversion is really strong. And if the characters feel like they are safeguarding Irina and then Strahd comes and gets her and they, and the, and the players feel like you took her on purpose, and that was the only real outcome. They're going to feel pretty vindictive about that. So knowing that they had an opportunity to save her and, and wasn't able to, and that the story could have gone in the other directions is important. So there's a whole bunch of different encounters. One thing, again, I talked about Christian's use of maps, right? Lots of really good maps. I believe the PDF version of this, if you if you buy the version on the DMs Guild, it includes, Christian, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, it includes VTT-compatible maps that you can use with these encounters. And that's probably its biggest strength is that it has lots of really good battle mappy, you know, battle map ready maps for all of these encounters. And there's really two different kinds of encounters. There are big sort of almost small adventure encounters, you know, one or two page big encounters that cover different topics. And then there's smaller encounters that are meant to replace some of the random encounters that exist in there. And the smaller encounters are where you get something that's a little closer to like Waterdeep City encounters. So it's a really cool product. I really dig it. I would, I, I recommend it. If you are, if you're running Curse of Strahd, I was talking to somebody in, in my discord recently and they were at, they, they were eager to run uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and I had to give them my warning Two oh my God. So 253, there's not 253 VTT maps in this one product. Is there? That's ridiculous. Or those are 253, 28 unique maps. Okay. Very cool. I was like, 253 maps? You mean you've done 253 VTT maps? That's incredible. So, so I was talking to, I was talking to somebody in Discord. They were, they wanted to run Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. And I said, I don't know, I can't recommend it, right? But I can recommend Curse of Strahd. It's my favorite hardcover adventure. And one reason that it's even better now is the amount of material that exists. So, like one of the things, there are multiple map packs that have the entire layout of Castle Ravenloft in the map pack. They're beautiful. I bought a couple of them and I, I found one that I really dig. But then you get things like this, right? All the, there's such a halo of products. There's the Beetle and Grimm. I'm looking at the Beetle and Grimm set right now. It's over on my right. I think it's over there. Yeah. The Beetle and Grimm, you know, platinum edition for, for Curse of Strahd, right? There's tons of material. So you can basically, there's a tremendous amount of, of stuff that exists for, for Curse of Strahd. And so, so running that adventure, I, I still think it's the best adventure. And now I think it's getting better and it's getting better because people like Christian are putting out excellent products that are sort of surrounding the halo. Look at that. That's a great picture of a spider. Oh, I lost the spider. Pick. Look at that spider. Ooh. Ooh, creepy. Excellent product. I highly recommend it. If you want to find lots of really cool DMs Guild products, check out Christian's DMs Guild page. I have it here somewhere, right? Man, I got too many windows open. I clicked it. There it is. Check out Christian's entire list of products that he has made for the DMs Guild. Definitely worth checking out. The second product comes from somebody that I have worked with now for years, and that's Elven Tower. Derek Ruiz is his name. And Derek has been making uh, maps under the nom, the nom de plume of Elven Tower for a long time. And I, I'm going to recommend, so you can find Elven Tower stuff on Drive-Thru RPG, I think. Faith for Fools. Yeah, so you can, uh, let me let me go to, let's see, drive through. I should have had a link for this all set up, but I didn't. 
So Elvin, te- yeah, yeah, this is excellent, right? Let me actually, what I'm going to do is bring it up and then click on the link and that should be better because then it's like an author's page. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So this is Elvin Tower's drive through RPG page. And Elvin Tower, again, started with cartography, but expanded out into lots of different types of products, stock, stock maps, stock art, all kinds of different things and has started building like adventures, right? Now, all of these sort of surround his maps. And he makes wonderful maps. He made all of the maps. I think he made all of the maps. Do we have different cartographers? I don't recall. I have to find out. No, I think we had different maps. Sorry. Yeah. I think he made all the maps for returns for Ruins of the Grendel Root were all his. And uh, he made a bunch of maps in Fantastic Layers. He made a bunch of maps in uh, Fantastic Adventures. And he made some maps in the Lazy DM workbook. So I've, I've now worked with him on four different books of my own. Wonderful cartographer. And he makes not only makes a bunch of products for the dms guild lots of different kind of stock marps and stock stock maps that you can use for your own games i think even you can license them and make your own module using his maps which is an outstanding thing this is something that dyson does and it's a really good i should i should look into doing more of this so lots of excellent products i pasted his link right but i also want to highlight his patreon i I am a i'm a backer of his patreon if we go to let's see is it elven tower Yes. So he has a Patreon where he releases all kinds of excellent stuff. It started off with sort of map map packs built out into building adventures around the maps. And now he builds like compilations of them and everything else. And it's really re- like the stuff you get that just shows up in my inbox regularly is really amazing work. I, I really, I, 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 I recommend it. I like it. And I want to highlight one of them, which is Faith for Fools. Uh, I asked, much like I did with Christian Zuck, I also reached out to Derek and said, hey, Derek, what would you like me to highlight? And he said, well, I, I'm really proud of this adventure, Faith for Fools. And I took a look at it. It's a really cool adventure. So Derek is one of those unicorns that has a lot of, they, they call them unicorns in the tech world of people who have like lots of talents in lots of different areas. He has a lot of talent in a lot of different areas. And one of them is like his, his internal design is really, really good, right? I love the look of his stuff. Very professional, like really, really great stuff. I'd love to see more print on demand stuff from him or print books, but yeah, excellent, you know, excellent stuff, beautiful layout, as strong as, as, as I've seen. And this, and this is like a full adventure. It's a full fourth level adventure. It is 19 pages, including, you know, from top to bottom, including like the OGL and everything. So probably like 16 pages of other stuff. And he, this particular adventure is about the characters finding an old church, an old temple that used to be like nice and happy. And then the spoilers, the, like the high priestess for the temple read a book with a demon in it and has been possessed by the demon and has taken over the, the, the sisters of the seven blossoms have now become demon worshipers. And you have to go down there and deal with them. I, I love simple adventures like that. I like adventures that have like a really good, straightforward sort of seed. There's of course an interesting thing of like, they've been taken over by the demon. Does that mean you go down there and wipe them out? Probably, you know, you could, but they're not bad people. So how do you deal with that? Right. It's more than just go in and kill a bunch of cultists, right? These are like people you want to help with. And you can see all the maps that he's got uh, in here, of course, are using Derek style, the Elven Tower. Look at that. Beautiful, beautiful, cool maps, right? Great stuff. And you get adventures like this, you know, through the, through the Patreon, right? Really, really great stuff. So I highly recommend the Patreon if you want to get regular stuff like this. It really is like subscribing to a bunch of magazines, right? That like, I really, I've subscribed to a lot of patrons these days. I would say stuff like this, stuff like Faith for Fools. A a few years ago, I really, I, I made a bold statement that 
I thought the most interesting things that were happening in the world of D&D were happening on Kickstarter. And I still think that's true. I think that so many groups are now using Kickstarter as a way, and the Kickstarters are getting really big, right? Really, really big Kickstarters that are going on. That there's a lot of room for interesting things to happen. Your kingdoms and warfare, your strongholds and followers, all of the work that Ghostfire Gaming has done, 2C Gaming, you know, Nord, all these like really, you know, pot-bellied kobold that, JV, that, that, that uh, Jeff Stevens put out. I think it's Jeff Stevens. And, you know, I have it right there. Do I? No, I moved it to my other bookcase. Shit. So, you know, lots of really, yeah, Kobold Press, right? Kobold Press is doing, the, to me, I've been actually spending a lot of time with Toma Beast 2, and I love that book. It's a great monster book. It's scary. I ran a one-on-one -on -one game with my wife last night, and they were facing the Eldric Ooze, and she's like, this thing is horrifying. She was like, this is really hitting us hard, and like, we're getting wiped out. And I was like, that's right. So yeah, so the, to me, the most interesting big books are coming through Kickstarter. But now I think some of the most interesting material that's coming out for fifth edition is happening through Patreon. So this idea of like Patreon and drive through RPG and Kickstarter, like tremendously cool stuff is coming out through these avenues, right? And it's great. And so you have like your subscriptions to Patreon. You have the things you back in Kickstarter that you sort of pre-order or not, it's not really a pre-order, but you support on Kickstarter. And then you have books and products that you buy and drive through RPG. We have a wonderful plethora. And I would, I would say the two that I've brought up today, Christian Zuck's work with, you know, Christian Zuck's work on the DMs Guild and Elvin Tower's work both on Patreon and on the on DriveThruRPG are definitely worth checking out. You get really cool material. It's just fun to get this stuff in your inbox. So I highly recommend it. Check, check both of them out. Let's see. Oh, I've got some time left. One of my favorite YouTube stations is done by, the station is called Dungeon Craft. And the guy who runs it, that didn't work. The guy who runs it refers to himself as Professor Dungeon Master. And he posts lots. So he's definitely like writes about 5e, but he is an old school kind of guy, right? And he takes old school principles and applies them to his fifth edition games. And he talks a lot about this, this sort of thing. And the videos are fun. They're very, they're well produced. They're, they're good. It's, it's good time. They're, they're the right, you know, that sort of 10 minute time frame, 12 minute time frame. He has a couple that I really dug. He has a thing called the ultimate tabletop terrain. Let's see. The ultimate dungeon, the ultimate, ultimate tabletop terrain is one of his videos. Oh, ads. And in which he shows how to make an abstract. I, I, I haven't made one of these yet. I kind of want to, and now that I'm back to painting again, I might, I might try it. It's very crafty, but he makes a, you know, the example, check that out, right? I'm trying to find a good, a good spot where he, where he shows it. So it is a circular big tile that's zone based. You see, there's an outer zone with those big blocks. There's a medium sized zone and then the inner zone, right? And he does zone based combat. And one of the neat things is he can put like, he can put terrain on top of it. I'm trying to. Uh, see a frame where he puts things on. yeah so right he can put terrain elements on it and minis and it shows how to do abstract combat with like actual terrain stuff that's not the there we go 
And, you know, so like people in the center are all kind of in melee. People on the outer edge are, are like a move away. And then you have people on the outside can hear but can't see. Really cool idea. And one of the smart things about this is because it's circular, you know it's not a grid, right? You don't have to count squares because you can't count squares in a circle. So it's really, really a neat, a neat approach. Yeah, gaming and BS says, so tactical meets theater of the mind. Yeah, it's that idea of an abstract battle map. It is a battle map that you have in front of you with minis, with terrain, but you're not worrying about squares. And I think that is a really interesting thing. I, I, I wish somebody made this so I could buy it because I don't I'm not it, it would take me a few tries to to make this work. Right. And and I just not crafty enough someday. If I ever have enough time, I'll do it anyway. This is one of his videos that I like. I'll I'll I'll, I'll post this. I wasn't planning to talk about it, but here we are. And I lost my window. Oh, no. Where's my window? That's not the right window. There we go. So he had a video with the clickbaity. He does a little bit. of. I love him and I like the videos. Sometimes it's a little clickbaity and he kind of knows it's clickbaity. And it makes me want to say like, you know, the first comment you want to say what it is. And I'm going to right now. So he has a video, but of course it's an eight minute free video. So do you really care if it's clickbaity or not? You're going to watch it anyway. And the best 5e rule you're not using. And he brought up a really interesting rule that got me to think more about, you know, potential ways to kind of take 5e in a different direction. And it's a rule that's in the Dungeon Master's Guide. And the rule is that instead of having a proficiency static bonus, you roll a die. And the size of your bonus is the die you roll. So if you would have a plus two, you would instead roll a d4. Plus three is a D6, plus four is a D8, plus five is a D10, right? And, and what you do is when you are rolling, if you're proficient, you throw in that die and add it on top. It's almost like having bless, right? Kind of. It's like you would handle it the same way you did bless. So essentially, and it's a, you know, it's a rule in uh, the dungeon. This is one of those things where like, wow, that's such a radical approach to D&D. And you're like, yeah, it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide, right? And I don't remember what page it's on. I have to find it here. But they have a whole like... Uh, DM work, I forget what they call it, the chapter in here. The Dungeon Master's Workshop, right? I think it's in here. Dungeon Master's Workshop. Yeah, here it is. It's the first one. It's called Proficiency Die. Ability Options Proficiency Die. Page 263 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. And it shows you, like, depending on the level, instead of having a proficiency bonus, you roll a die. And it's depending on your proficiency bonus. And you roll that. And then he also brought up the idea that instead of having skill proficiencies, you can kind of mix these two together. And instead of having skill proficiencies, you have ability check proficiencies that certain classes are proficient in an ability like intelligence or wisdom, right? Or whatever. A ranger would have uh, proficiency in strength, dex, or wisdom, right? They can pick which one. And then you would roll, instead of asking for a skill check, you always just roll attribute checks and you roll proficiency if you are, if you are trained in that attribute. And then there's a background-based proficiency, page 264, Right, where instead of having skills, you have your background and anything that's related to your background, you are considered to be proficient in. And this one, Professor Dungeon, I don't know what his real name is. Maybe he doesn't want us to know his real name. But Professor Dungeon Master in these videos talks about the fact that it's very similar to a Shadow of the Demon Lord style. I would argue that it's also very much like 13th Age. And I love 13th Age. So that idea of what I, what I dig about this, what kind of gets me interested in this is like in one of, oh, God, I banged the mic. Man, whenever I, oh. Oh, terrible. I gotta wait for all the springs to stop springing. So when one of the things I really dig about fate, the, the RPG fate, and there's a, there's one called fate condensed and I highly recommend fate condensed. If you, if you want to pick up, I think you can get it on Amazon for pretty cheap too. eight bucks, right? For a, for a hard copy version of fate condensed is $8. Look, I, I already bought some, right? And it is a 
really so one of the cool things about fate as opposed to other rpgs is that you can make a character for a one-shot game at the table and it's like you just ask a series of questions you answer those questions and you can build a character very very quickly and my question is like if you take out skills and you replace them with like background proficiency and if you use the if you use the flexible attribute method from tasha's and if you use the, the proficiency die instead of a proficiency bonus, could you have a quick play D&D character that you got to make it at the table? You said, what's your background? And you say, I'm a blacksmith. And you say, great. Anytime you do anything blacksmith related, or you can argue about why your training in blacksmith gives you proficiency on a check, you can roll a D4 on your proficiency bonus. And then you just set your attributes. And then maybe you, you, like you have a class character sheet. But since you're abstracting racial bonuses from all of the racial other abilities, you could have like a three by five card that says, if you're playing a drow, here's your drow card that tells you the drow things you can do. And then you have like a character sheet and a, an origin card, right? A, an ancestry card. And you can take your character sheet and your ancestry card, put them together and you got a character, right? And then you choose your background. And so you can almost sort of build a D&D character at the table rather than having to use a pre-gen for a one-shot game. Like, could you build a D&D fifth edition character in five minutes, right? That, that, was, that was cool with people that aren't really experienced in D&D. I think it could be neat. And, and I think that that approach of like getting rid of skills and just having background proficiency gets to like a 13th age style of 5e. If somebody was going to make a version of D&D that, that I was going to like totally embrace, a few of the characteristics would be it has abstract combat built in 13th age style, right? And I think you could just take a lot of the stuff that 13th age has and, and apply it to 5e and you'd have an abstract combat system. That whole idea of like fireball can hit, you know, 1d4 enemies or 2d4 enemies if you're willing to put a friend in, in the way, stuff like that. So an abstract combat system that's wired into the game would be number one. I really like the background idea that you just choose a background and all of your skills are based on that background. I think that would be a really good way to, interesting way to go. I would dig that. And what else? I mean, there's a bunch of things I would really dig for it. I think like going with the core ability bonus and imagine that you basically take the what's it called the standard array but you apply the racial the, the, the tasha racial based thing so that's basically you have 16 14 14 12 10 8 as your core as your core stuff i think would be an interesting way you just apply it to whatever attributes you want or maybe you even know what they are because you know what 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 class you're playing but then you get like dex fighters and stuff anyway i'm rambling I, this 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 video was an interesting one. It was an interesting take on it. And he said he actually used it and his players really liked it. So I think it would be interesting to sit down with your players and say, we're going to make character sheets. We're not going to use D&D Beyond. We're going to do it at the table. There's no skills. It kind of here's a new character sheet and you choose a background and then apply proficiency and we're going to roll for proficiency. Would be really, would be really kind of neat. What else? I have some extra time. Is there any interesting things going on in the world of D&D that folks on Twitch, the, the folks in the Twitch chat today would like to chat about? Any Anything that's on people's minds? Anything that they dig? Yeah, I, I really like his YouTube channel. It's a fun, it's a fun YouTube channel. Really, really good time. I dig it. Let's see, I can close all this stuff out. Any other thing? I, you know, I checked the N-World news today to see if there's anything going on and not, 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 not much. Pay to play. I can give my three minute opinion on pay to play, strong opinions, right? Table pounding opinions about it, which is, you know, I think it's great, right? I think that pay to play is fine. And I don't think it's gonna hurt people who don't take pay to play. I think pro DMing is a fine angle and I like it. I have talked to pro DMs. My friend, we had a talk on the, the I don't remember the name of my own show, DMs Deep Dive. And 
you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's great. Right. And I, 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 I don't have, I don't have a lot of patience for people who get upset about the fact that there's pay DMing now, because it's just a different way to play. Right. And no one's coming to your house and telling you that you have to do it that way. And I know there are many people who feel like I would never take money to, to, to play D and D. Right. And I wouldn't say that. I mean, I don't know, like, I don't want the money to run my D and D games. I don't need it, but in a different set of circumstances, would I maybe, right. So I, I'm certainly not against pro DMing. I don't think it hurts amateur DMing. That's exactly the right, you know, the right angle. But I, I, I think that, I think it's fine. Like, I think that there's, there's so many ways to play this game, right? So many different ways. And I don't know why we would ever be opposed when somebody finds a new one, right? And sometimes we look at it and we go, well, that's not how I want to play it. And that's cool. You, no one's making you play it that way, right? But the game can evolve and it can expand and it can grow. And, and you know, like one of the things, I, I played a one, I mentioned my one-on-one -on -one game with my wife and I never really played one-on-one D&D, right? But then I played the one-on-one -on -one game with Enrique, and we loved it. And I was like, oh, we got to do it. And then I, my wife and I started doing it. And now we have our own little campaign. We don't play it very often, but we do. And we know the characters and we know what's going on. And we had a great time. And yesterday, so I didn't have a game this past Wednesday. But so I was like, I want to play D&D this week. Will you play D&D with me? And she said, sure. And so we played last night. And we played for an hour and 45 minutes or so. Really fun game. She enjoyed it. She was smiling. We were laughing. You know, it was great, right? Just one-on-one -on -one game was wonderful, right? Really, really good time. And yeah, a uh, secret preview, en Enrique and I are talking about how we can do more Baron Darnbing. I really hope we can, but scheduling is really hard. So, Salicious uh, says, I tried the three-quarter CR against my level 14 party, but it was too powerful. What made it difficult for my party was that I made a map that favored a beholder, and that was huge. It was a lovely fight, and now I made them confront a death tyrant. Yeah, I think the three-quarter three and one-to-one -one rate, you're really cranking the difficulty dial far high and maybe it's too hard it's currently in my in the dm companion but i'm a little worried about it. i do put it in as like an optional rule like if you if you're worried you can crank it up but i do think that like you know if you have five 20th level characters that's 100 crs and you could put 100 crs worth of monsters on there which is like five valors right that could be really really hard but you know it's certainly a way you know it's certainly a way that it could work so, so there's so many comments that I'm missing here. I hope people are being cool about, about stuff. Uh, question, when a PC uses an ability spell that lets them have some or full control over a monster creature like Animate Dead, should a DM share the full stat block with the information of the PC? Yeah, I typically hand it over. So if they cast Charm Monster on a monster, I give them the, I give them the stat block for the monster. I, don't think, I think that's what you're asking. Leviathan ACs, when a DM is truly good, it could be worth it. Problem is there are a lot of DMs that think they're the best when they're awful. That's probably true. The Dunning-Kruger effect is, affects this as much as anything. I'll make another bold statement. I think I've made this on the show before, which is longevity is no determination of how good a DM you are. And in some cases, I think it's actually inversely proportional for, for some people. How long you've been a DM doesn't mean you're learning the right things. The right things. People can yell at me about what I think is right or what's not right. So, but I, I, I think that I've some, I've met DMs who have been playing less than a year who were awesome, awesome DMs. And I've played with other DMs who are, who've been playing clearly for a long, long time and were terrible, or I really didn't enjoy playing with them. And 
they, you know, it, it, the, the longevity is not a determining factor. And then I, so I said, okay, well, that's me. What does David Christ have to say? David Christ, who runs Baldwin Games, has managed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of DMs. He's had thousands and thousands and thousands of surveys. He's run tens of thousands of games uh, over his empire. Does he know? And he said, yeah, definitely. It's not, you know, longevity is not a, longevity is not an indicator of a good DM and can be detrimental. So, I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm, my, I'm fair. So, but yeah, I guess this is where we're talking about paid DMs, right? I think there's an interesting thing. Like when you think about what a paid DM brings to the table, that's different than how another DM might. And I think there are some DMs. So when I asked him this question, he said, he's no, it's no, he doesn't bring anything differently to his paid games that he does to his normal game. But I don't think that's because I don't think his normal game is like everybody's game. I think his normal game is as what I would refer to as a servant DM role. Like, are you serving the game? Are you serving your players when you DM or are you like, you know, managing the game, right? Are you the boss or are you the, the client, you know, or, the, or are you serving a client? Right. And I, I try to take a servant DM role, right? I want to serve the table. I want to serve the game. That doesn't mean I don't want to have my own fun because I do, but I also know that there's like five people that are taking their time out of their world to come and play this game. And I want to give them a good time. That's, that's the job that I want to take on. And I think that a paid DM it takes that and they're just taking money for it. Right. They, they, they say, yeah, I I'm there to serve these. These are my clients. Right. And I'm going to serve my clients. You know, that that's fine. Right. That's a fine approach. And I, I think that DM, if, if DMs are really against that idea, I mean, I don't know. I don't want, no one's playing their game wrong right? Everybody can kind of play the way they want if they have their friends. But I know that like DMs who, I think it's a matter of like control and purpose. And it's like, I want them to understand my story. And you know, it gets very quickly into the, are you really there to help the players have a good time? Or are you there because you want to run your game the way you're trying to run it? Right. And, and I think that that is a careful, I think there's a careful balance there. It's a tricky, it's a tricky balance. So so we have hit an hour. If you are watching the show on YouTube or listening to the show on the podcast, thank you very much. If you like this show and you want to support me, you can do so in four different ways. One, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. Two, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Three, you can subscribe to me on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Sly Flourish and signing up. Or four, you can pick up any of my books, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Lazy DM's Workbook. So thank you very much for coming today. And have a great day. 